Welcome to Breb Talk. If you're a realtor and you've been looking for a podcast to up your game with smart and practical information, you've found your home. Providing realtors with resources, professional development, and standards for excellence. This is Breb Talk, and this is your host, the president of the Brampton Real Estate Board, Jason Galbraith. Hello, everybody, and thanks for uh, dialing in today for Breb's exciting new podcast series called Breb Talks. Today, we have a very special guest from Treb, Jason Mercer. I'd like to take this moment to introduce Jason. And uh, Jason, if you would if you would be so kind, if you could just say uh, what your role is at Treb and why you're such a great person to be talking to today about uh, projections and what's going on. No, I- I appreciate you having me today, and uh, again, yeah, my name is Jason Mercer. I'm the uh, Chief Market Analyst uh, at TREB and also the Director of Service Channel, so I, I wear a few hats, but certainly, you know, in my decade or so that I've been at TREB, um, always covering off market conditions, you know, throughout the greater Toronto area. Um, always happy to help out our, our, our partner boards as well, uh, so certainly, you know, really appreciate you having me on and uh, looking forward to discussing the market and what we expect to see over the next year. Right on. Well, I know myself, uh, the staff at Breb, and of course our listeners are going to be very excited to hear what you have to say. Um, it's been a strange year. Um, we're in kind of uncertain times right now as well uh, with COVID and what's going on in the world. Um, so I think uh, some information will go a long way. Sure. Right on, Jason. So just to get us started off, for most of 2020, uh, we were in a pandemic. And I was just wondering, how did the pandemic, COVID-19, affect our market? And as of 2020 came to an end, what were the major issues we were facing and starting to see? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, initially, and, and you know, it, it's crazy, right? But if you think, you know, we, we've been kind of in this situation for less than a year yet, you know, March of 2020 seems like forever ago uh, that, you know, we heard about the NBA shutdown. And by that weekend, I mean, we were basically being told to stay at home. Um, as, as, as much as possible. And, uh, you know, certainly, you know, uh, um, if you, if you think about what that did for, for, you know, business confidence, what it did for consumer confidence, at least initially was that, you know, people didn't know what was going on. They didn't know, you know, what their revenue stream was going to look like. If you're operating a business, certainly our members and your members were in that boat sort of thinking about, well, you know, what's going to happen over the next few months? Are people going to continue to purchase homes or are they going to move to the sidelines? And, and initially it looked like, you know, there was a real en masse movement uh, to the sidelines uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, we saw sales dip below 3,000 um, in, uh, in in April for the, for the GTA as a whole. They picked and up a little mean, bit. What is the usual bit, uh, baseline? You said a low of 3,000. What would yeah. you say is average? And, and that's the crazy thing. Like if, if you think about normally what we'd see, you know, April, May, and June, I mean, we're on track. If you, if you, and I'll just take a step back, like January and February numbers, I mean, we're on track for a really, really strong year. Uh, um, you know, I mean, if you looked at those numbers, they were, they were pointing towards a year where we might have seen over 100,000 deals. Um, and, and certainly the spring market generally is, is the real driver of, of what you ultimately see for a calendar year. And so April, May, and June, I mean, you'd definitely be seeing sales north of 10,000. And, you know, based on what we were seeing in January and February, I wouldn't have been surprised in the absence of COVID if you see sales numbers, you know, above the 12,000 mark, um, you know, during at least 
you know, one or more of those three months. And so to see sales dip, you know, to that 3,000 point and even a little bit below. You're talking um, almost was, like 20, 25%. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was disheartening to say the least, right? And, and so, um, you know, and, and May wasn't much better. And so, you know, I mean, I, I remember looking at some of the daily figures and, and uh, um, you know, I mean, the, the, the numbers weren't great and certainly, um, you know, there's a lot of questions about, you know, whether we'd see a rebound, but I think testament to, you know, a lot of sectors of the economy, the real estate sector included, is, is, is people were able to make that shift from sort of the bricks and mortar office or, you know, traditional person to person interaction quite quickly. By the t so by the time we hit, say, June, July, I mean, we were seeing a real resurgence in the economy, at least a lot of sectors of the economy that were able to kind of take that work uh, to the home office, um, and certainly in the real estate sector as well, because I think, you know, a couple things. Number one, um, a lot of people were starting to get the feeling that, you know, my income stream is not going to be interrupted. I'm going to hold on to my, my job. And at the same time, interest rates have, have you know, moved to, you know, record lows, especially if you're thinking, oh, say, you know, the barometer five-year fixed rate. Um, and, and, and by the same token, um, if you think about our industry, in, in very short order, we're seeing, you know, the uptake of, of virtual open houses. We're certainly seeing, you know, uh, realtors acting re responsibly uh, with regard to showings and, and, and what have you. And, and it became fairly evident fairly quickly um, that you're still going to be able to get, you know, deals done. You're going to still be able to list homes um, in, the, in the greater Toronto area. And, and we really started to see a recovery um, in, in market transactions as well, to the point where from the summertime onwards, we're setting new records for given months um, as we move to the, to the end of the year. And so we might not have quite made it to where we, we would have been in the absence of COVID, but, you know, we saw 95,000 sales reported through the MLS system um, last year for the third best year on record. And so, you know, it was a real volatile year, but at the same time, you know, it was, it was a good year from an historic perspective when all was said and done. No, absolutely. You know, I, I can echo what you just said in my own personal business. Um, you know, spring, once the lockdown happened in March, April, May, you know, there was a lot of people that instantly went on the sidelines. And some of the most successful deals where I would call, you know, everyone looks for a steal. But I had like about three buyers, uh, you know, more or less get away with the steal during that period of time just because there was so much uncertainty on on the behalf of sellers and buyers. Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, so to what extent can we quantify uh, the low, the low in record low interest rates affecting the housing affordability and the market? Is there a way to quantify what its true impact is? Well, I think now, like as, as we're as we move through the second half of last year, and, and certainly even through you know January of this year, when we're seeing sales up by you know fifty percent in comparison to what we saw you know in January twenty twenty, which you know was already, as I've already mentioned, a, a fairly strong month, um, because you know we've kind of made it through the initial phases of of, of COVID, and, and and people are you know a little bit more used to our current situation, and so. You know, when we're talking about, you know, double-digit sales increases, you know, a lot of that certainly, you know, has to do with, uh, with uh, uh, borrowing costs. I mean, if you think about, uh, um, you know, the, the impact that's had on affordability, I don't think it's any surprise that, you know, the strongest growth rates we've seen 
um, you know, over the last six months, the strongest growth re rates and sales we've seen has been on the low rise side of the market. So historically, you know, more expensive price points for say a single detached or, or semi detached home. And I, and I think, you know, certainly borrowing costs played into that uh, because it, it, it provided, you know, more affordability for a lot of households in the GTA, which is, you know, uh, obviously a very expensive market. Uh, both in terms of the Canadian context, but also the uh, the global context. So, you know, certainly people have taken advantage of that. What are the numbers saying? What is the data showing as far as what's appreciating the fastest on residential side? Uh, is it the condos? Is it the townhouses, semis, detaches? What is um, the most ideal uh, ownership type or property Sure. Type? Sure. I mean, certainly, you know, the, the, the price appreciation that we're seeing in the marketplace um, is driving, you know, the, the overall price number is definitely on the low rise side of the market. Um, and particularly if you look at the, the detached market segment, um, you know, in, in the region surrounding the city of Toronto, um, you're seeing, you know, a stronger pace of growth for those home types compared to, say, what you're saying is seeing in the, in the city of Toronto. And that's not to say that we're not seeing strong growth in the city. Uh, but we have seen, you know, stronger growth in, in, in sales activity um, in the regions surrounding the city of Toronto um, and also, you know, very tight market conditions and that's driven, you know, very strong price growth there. On the condo side of the market, you know, up until and through, say, November, we had a situation where, you know, sales growth or sorry, listings growth was outstripping sales growth. So you're seeing more and more supply come into the market and that benefited buyers. Right. Because, you know, in, in short order, condo buyers realize that, you know, there's a lot of choice out here. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so you could become you know, more aggressive on your offers. And, and ultimately, uh, we started to see uh, prices dip on a year over year basis in the condo market. Now, looking forward, um, it, it certainly appears that on the, uh, on the low rise market segments, detached semis, townhomes, I mean, market conditions are going to remain tight enough in 2021 you know, to see double-digit price growth continue uh, this year. Um, I think, you know, an interesting storyline is going to be that condo market. If you look at, you know, December and January figures, um, we saw a bit of a, a turnaround where, where sales growth actually started to outstrip listings growth. So the market's tightened again. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a lot of standing inventory in the market. So I think for the next few months, it, it's certainly possible where we'll be still reporting year-over-year declines in, in the average selling price. But if this continues and we start to eat into that standing inventory and active listings start to dip on the condo segment, then in the second half of 2021, I wouldn't be surprised to see initially some support where the, you know, the price stops dipping um, and then even starts to turn around um, you know, through, say, the, the third and fourth quarters of, 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 of this year. Because, you know, the condo segment is still important. You think about first-time buyers, you know, they the represent about 40%. Yeah, and they represent about 40% of overall intent, uh, buyer intentions, um, you know, historically. So, you know, that's going to see people still pointed at that market. And, 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 you know, thinking beyond 2021 and into 2022, um, you know, let's assume that, you know, we see uh, a strong vaccine take up both in Canada and globally and we see a resumption of immigration into Canada because that's a big part of, of the federal government's overall recovery plan um, is, to, is to actually see an increase in immigration uh, into the country, which will bootstrap economic development uh, and, and what have you. And, and a lot of these people move to the GTA. The GTA 
uh, is Canada's single greatest beneficiary of immigration. Uh, and all those people need a place to live. They're either going to rent a place, they're going to buy a place. Um, and, and so that'll benefit the condo market, both from the, the, the point of view of, of owner-occupiers, people buying a place to live in, um, but also uh, for investors that, are, that have units available for rent right now, the rental market softened up. As soon as you start to see population growth resume, you know, that'll tighten there as well. Let's, uh, for the prospective landlords out there, new landlords, experienced sure. landlords, what is going on in the leased world right now? Uh, what's the data yeah. showing? Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, if you just read the newspapers and, and use that as a guide to, you know, what's been going on in the rental market, um, you know, you hear a lot about, you know, a glutton inventory, a real increase in supply. And that's all true. I mean, we did see uh, a, a really big uptick uh, in listings. And I'd argue, you know, those listings came from a couple of, of, uh, of sources. Number one, investors, certainly people who are active both in the traditional rental market, so longer-term leases, but also the short-term rental market as well, so catering towards, you know, Airbnb's. tourism and, and what have you. Yeah, and, and, and both of those things, you know, dried up. On the tourism front, it makes sense. Their tourism basically wasn't happening. There's was no people coming from across the border or from around the world to, to visit Toronto, so that certainly hampered the, the demand for, for short-term rentals. And then on the longer-term um, rental side, you know, it, it, it's unfortunately the sectors of the economy that were hit hardest by COVID-19 were sort of the average to below average uh, sectors in terms of, uh, of income, those, you know, of accommodation, food, beverage, entertainment sectors. Um, and a lot of those people were pointed at the rental market to, to, to meet their housing needs. And so, you know, you also saw vacancy rates start to edge upwards. And so um, in, in both cases, that likely prompted some investors to list their units for sale, especially those that maybe had owned their unit for you know a number of years and had benefited at least on paper uh, from 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 a market value increase. And I think you know many of them maybe felt now is the time to to exit uh, the marketplace at least uh, at least temporarily. The other side of the condo listing picture, of course, is what we've already talked about: people looking to move up on the market, take advantage of of, of low borrowing costs. So you know if I bought a condo. A few years ago, um, and I look at the a the equity that's built up in in my unit, and and and, and b where borrowing costs are right now. You know, I might want to take advantage of that to purchase a, maybe a semi or a townhome or even a detached home. Um, you know, somewhere else in the uh, in, in the GTA. So that would have led to more supply coming on the market as well. People selling to to move up in the in the in the in the marketplace and so you know by and large you saw a lot of, of inventory come online um, but in the rental market in particular certainly a lot of units just coming online for rent um, maybe people moving over from the short-term side of the market into the into the uh, into the long-term side but it's interesting to note that you know while most of the stories were on the supply side of the market we did see a year-over-year increase in rental transactions <laughs> okay uh, but it just didn't keep up with that real glutton inventory uh, that came online. So similar to the condo ownership market, you know, by the time we hit the third and fourth quarters, we were reporting, uh, you know, a year-over-year dip um, in, uh, in average rent. So certainly renter households in the GTA uh, are getting a break uh, in, in terms of, the, in, in terms of the, the rent they're paying. Um, something we haven't really seen for the last, you know, four or five years. Uh, um, and, and so, you know, again, it, it may be relatively short-lived, especially once we start to see that uh, resumption of population growth and we, we also start to see 
um, you know, short-term rentals pick up again. You may see some investors sort of switch from that traditional rental market um, back to the short-term side as well. Notwithstanding the fact that we see more restrictions on, 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 on investors as well, right? We've got the prospect of a vacancy tax in the city of Toronto. Obviously, you know, municipalities, including the city of Toronto, are, 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 have stricter guidelines around short-term rentals as well. So that impacts investors' decisions moving forward also. Um, you know, when you were talking about the, the rental market and the insurge of inventory or the condos, you're, you had mentioned a lot of inventory. My question is, is did we have a lot of inventory or, or is it just relative to what we had before? Because I kind of feel like we've become so accustomed to an inventory suppressed yeah. market. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Well, is it a lot or is it just more than usual? I'll, I'll say this, that, you know, COVID-19 certainly um, resulted in a lot more inventory coming online. But it is important to point out that, that you know, in, in the fall of 2019 and the first couple of months of 2020 pre-COVID, uh, we were seeing more inventory coming online, both in the rental market uh, and the ownership market. And I, I alluded to it a little bit a couple of minutes ago, but I think, um, you know, some of the, 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 the policies pointed at investment units were starting to see some investors uh, look, to, look to sell their units, whether it was stricter regulations around short-term rentals or the prospect of vacancy taxes. Um, you know, I, I think some people were looking for the exit door as a result of that. And, and, and to be honest, I don't just think that um, we were picking up that sentiment through some of the Ipsos polling uh, uh, that we had done as well, asking, you know, investors, A, or if they're looking to sell their unit over the next year, and B, why that might be, and certainly, you know, changes to government policy were, were you know, uh, a common answer for those investors who, who were looking to sell. Right on. No, thanks, Jason. Um, what does the year-over-year -year growth look like? Or This is a crystal ball question. Yeah. I'm sure you get this all the time. What sure. does the year-over-year -year growth look like for the Peel region? Well, I think, you know, in general, you think about the makeup of, of the housing stock in, in, in Peel, there's certainly some condo nodes, so it's important to, you know, think about that segment of the market. Um, but, you know, if you think about most municipalities in Peel, traditionally, you know, they're, 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 they're more heavily weighted towards low-rise home types, so single semis and, and townhomes, and that's just historically how um, the, the, the suburban regions of the GTA were, were built up. Um, and, and so if you think about the trends that we've seen and also, you know, some of the Ipsos polling results have suggested that suggested that still buyer intentions are higher for um, those traditional single family home types. And I, I think that 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 bodes well um, for, for, for Peel region and, and, and Brampton included, because that seems to be, you know, the type of homes that people are appointed at, even though those homes come at a higher price point um, on average. Uh, some of that higher price right now is being mitigated and will continue to be mitigated this year by, by very low borrowing costs. I mean, you're still talking about the norm where a negotiated contract rate would be below 2% right now. So even if we see a bit of an uptick uh, in, in, in sort of medium-term borrowing costs in the second half of this year, still going to be very low from an historic perspective and certainly much lower than where we were this time last year. Right on. And for my commercial agents out there and the people that are listening on the commercial side, uh, we've been talking primarily about residential. Wondering if you yeah. can shed any light about what's going on in the commercial world. Sure. And I mean, we've also, you know, in our market year and review report that was released a couple of weeks ago, and then, uh, um, you know, the the uh, 
um, the data that we also get from from Altus Group, we have a pretty good sense of, of sort of what's going on in the, in the commercial market as well. And thinking of some of the suburban regions around the city of Toronto, I mean, the industrial, um, you know, is, is a major factor in those commercial markets. And, and that's a market segment that, that continue to perform, you know, very, very well. Um, over the uh, over the over the last year, and thinking of Brampton, and uh, you know, it's sort of wading towards logistics and and, and, and manufacturing. The, the logistics side, especially, you know, played a role in that. Uh, when you're thinking about um, you know the shift to online buying, online retail. Um, mm -hmm. So you know, while we traditionally sort of separate you know the industrial segment from say commercial retail segments um, of, of the market, there's a blurring of the line now, right? Because if you think about um, a retailer needing to satisfy, you know, that online demand. Well, now all of a sudden you're talking about warehousing, you're talking about hub and spoke. You know, how do we how do we sort of reset our network um, to enable same day delivery or next day delivery to a big region like the uh, um, like the GTA? Well, maybe we're going to need these sort of a, ma a main distribution and then sort of a satellite hub as a jumping off points to allow for for this type of delivery. So not surprisingly, the, the industrial segment of the market has, has performed quite well. Um, I think, you know, the, the areas that are going to be, um, you know, require a closer look as you move through this year will be, you know, that sort of bricks and mortar retail, that bricks and mortar sort of real estate that, that's pointed towards, you know, arts and entertainment, the restaurant uh, business and, and, and that type of thing. I mean, obviously right now, um, you know that 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 segment is softer just because of you know the necessarily public health restrictions and and how that's yep. fed through into into those businesses. The office side of things as well. I mean, I, I think right now the sort of the jury's still out in terms of what's going to take place. Do I think that you're going to see you know people return to office work? Yes, I do. Um, I, I I think there's a social aspect of of going to work and people working in the office that you know is being missed by a lot of people who are working from home right now. Um, but is the office going to look the same? Probably not. Um, I just you know, noticed the other day in, in the newspaper, sorry to cut you off there, Jason, yeah. there's a leg there. Um, the, the, down on Bay Street, one of the towers on King, uh, is the first time that the, the skyscraper has been vacant since it was constructed in the 70s. Yeah. It was in the Toronto Star, I think, the other day. Yeah, and, and you hear these stories, and, and to a certain degree, some of these landlords are able to take advantage of some of these vacancies to actually you know, re and re you know, some, uh, some, some systems, you know, HVAC and, and what have you in the building that they, you know, they haven't been able to undertake that work necessarily, you know, on mass, it's been kind of piecemeal um, over time because, you know, the office vacancy rate has been so low. And, and I think the other trend that you're going to see too is that, you know, as they're sort of converting some of this vacant space and you do start to see, um, you know, people moving back, you know, to the office as the vaccine take up increases and, and, and that type of thing that, you know, you are going to see this trend towards more square footage per person. Um, mm -hmm. And so exactly how these offices and that are set up, um, that probably changes. Um, and, 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 and so, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, well, what does that mean? I mean, so, so a floor plate that, you know, you know handled a few hundred people, uh, you know, last year, you know, there's going to be a lot fewer people on a given floor potentially um, yeah. in, in some cases. And so, you know, A, what does that mean? Well, you know, maybe you'll be looking for more space, uh, but at the same time, what does that mean for valuations? Because, you know, the, the utilization of that space now is um, uh, different. So, like, it's it, anyway, you know, there, there's, there's so many sort of balls in the air 
on the office side of things and, and to a certain degree on the on the retail side of things that uh, you know I think we're going to have to continue to monitor it fairly closely as you move through the year but the industrial segment seems to be um, you know remaining very very strong right on so let's shift gears here um, big part of the market fueling the market has always been first-time home buyers correct sure that's right what's going on with first-time home buyers right now uh, I'm working with a fair bit myself and it's yeah. challenging times out there what um, are the current market conditions and the implementation uh, um, and what what it does for first-time home buyers and the challenges it puts in place how does this affect the market is there light at the end of the tunnel for first-time home buyers um, can you comment I think so. I mean, you know, again, you know, first-time buyer tensions aren't as strong as say where they were 2015, 2016, and, and some of that just has to do with you know price point. Um, but you know, our polling at the end of 2020, uh, done by Ipsos, and we've been asking the same question, you know, since 2015. You know, if if you said you intended on purchasing a home, um, is this going to be your first home purchase? And and 40 percent. Of respondents uh, um, were first-time buyers and so that's a that's a big number um, and that's that growth number right because if you just have existing home buyers saying they're gonna buy well that's more just sort of churn in the marketplace you know it, it's first-time buying activity newcomers to that to the housing market that sort of drives growth in our, our sector and so you know that's important to see and it's positive to see that you know 40 percent of intending buyers are our first timers. I, I think it's also interesting to see is when we ask people, well, what's your mortgage situation going to look like? Um, if they say they've been pre-approved, you know, generally speaking, the average down payment that they say they're going to put down is above 20%. Um, so, you know, the notion uh, that first-time buyers are all sort of leveraged to the hilt and, and they're, they're in their high risk, I, I, I think, you know, our polling over time has, has dispelled this myth um, that, you know, first-time buyers are are you know all in danger of being underwater if we see some sort of housing market correction what have you you know uh, our polling suggests that first-time buyers are going to have a lot of skin in the game um, and uh, and you know are going to be able to parlay that equity into um, some substantial home purchases and sort of start making their way through that housing continuum so you know is there some uncertainty or there's some questions that, that first-time buyers may have around affordability or what have you certainly I mean it you know, it's an expensive market in the GTA, but by and large, you know, first-time buying intentions are strong, um, and I and I think you know uh, um, these 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 people, these households, you know, consider housing a, a quality, long-term investment. Perfect. Thanks, Jason. Um, so, being a Brampton real estate board president, I gotta ask uh, our neighbor to the south, Mississauga. There was an article recently stated that Brampton has surpassed Mississauga with the average sale price. Is this true? Um, I, I think certainly, you know, I mean, those kind of stories are always dependent upon, you know, what, what, uh, uh, you know, what the segment of the market is and what have you. But I mean, I, I look at an area like Brampton, um, and and it's an area that's been that's been growing and expanding over time, and, and market conditions are extremely tight. Um, and, and so, you know, our, our, our prices continue to increase in Brampton. Certainly, do I expect prices to continue to to increase in 2021? I certainly do, and and on the low rise side of the market, I mean, I think we're going to be talking about double digit increases as we move through uh, um, 2021. And I mean, you said it yourself; you're working with a lot of first time buyers, um, a lot of buyers in in, in general. Um, and I think you know, generally speaking, if you're in that low rise segment of the market and you're working with buyers right now, when you go to look at a house, you see pretty clearly that there's a lot of competition in the marketplace. 
uh, right yeah. now for, for, for quality listings and that only supports. And that's you if know, you get them in the door in time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and certainly if you look at, think about the, you know, an overall selling price in, in, in Brampton versus say uh, Mississauga, one of the other differences of course is, is you see, you know, more condominium apartments in the overall mix um, in Mississauga compared to, compared to Brampton. So that obviously impacts the, right. uh, the average prices as well. So crystal ball question, Jason. What can we expect with 2021? Is it if I if you're a prospective investor, buyer, seller, what have you? Is this a good year? What should, well, what what is your gut telling you? In the I mean, let's start you? with the overall economy, and I mean, and you know, people need to be confident uh, about their economic prospects when they're thinking about purchasing a home, because that's the only way you're gonna you know make that initial lump sum investment in terms of the equity you put down. But you got to be able to pay that mortgage every month, and so you got to have that you know you got to be confident you're going to see that sustained income flow coming in. And I think by and large people are, and they'll become more confident as we move through 2021, as as sort of the remaining sectors of the economy that are still in a bit of a lull right now start to pick up as 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 we see an increase in 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 vaccination. Um, and on top of that. Um, you know, borrowing costs. I mean, the Bank of Canada has all but said they're going to keep their policy rate, their target for the overnight lending rate at that, you know, a quarter of a, uh, a basis point or sorry, a quarter of a percentage point um, through 2021 and likely through 2022 as well. And so even if we see a bit of an uptick in more medium term rates, they're still going to be extremely low historically. And so that's going to obviously be a positive for affordability. And so, you know, from my perspective, I see a better year GTA wide. Um, in 2021 versus 2020. I mean, our point forecast right now for the GTA as a whole uh, is 105,000 deals, so up 10,000 uh, from what we saw um, in, uh, in, in 2020. And I think if you ask me, well, where do the risks to your forecast lie? I think there's more risk to the upside, to be honest, than the downside in terms of, you know, seeing that sales number move through uh, my forecast of 105,000, just because you know, if we if we start to see a, an early uptick in, in in population growth and what have you, then that um, you know we'll certainly see um, perhaps more demand for for ownership housing and I think rental as well. Um, you know, I mean that market's been in a bit of a lull as you see those sectors of the economy that cater more to renting than than owning pick up. Um, I think in the second half of this year, um, you know, we start to see a tightening in that rental market as well. Right on. Um, you know, the last couple of years, we've been seeing double-digit year-over-year increases in price. Sure. Um, how how sustainable is this? Can this continue to appreciate like this? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and you know, talking about forecasts, I mean, you know, this will be the first time uh, that we report an average selling price GTA-wide of over a million dollars. You know, right now our point forecast for average price is a million twenty-five thousand. Uh, and, and it's a reasonable question to ask when you're getting into the seven figures, you know, um, what does that mean for, for affordability? And, and I'll tell you, the answer that I keep coming back to is that, you know, a, a, a region like the GTA that, that has such a diverse economy, has such a, a diverse a diversity in terms of culture as well, people moving from all over. I mean, we're one of the most diverse regions in the world. Um, Not to in, mention in the incredible of, uh, um, accumulation of equity in the last yeah. couple of years. That's right, and 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 we're going so we're going to continue to see population growth. I mean, people want to move to the GTA to take advantage of everything there is uh, uh, to, to to offer. Um, what we really need to concentrate on, and this is especially from the policy development front, whether we're talking about local governments, provincial government, or federal government, is the way to bring on more supply, um, and 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 not just any kind of supply. 
um, but 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 a greater diversity of housing types. I mean, right now, if you think about development in the GTA, it's really been focused either on that detached home or a condominium apartment. Not a heck of a lot in between. Um, and I think all neighborhoods of our region could benefit from you know a, a more of a gradient of, of 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 home types. You know, whether you're talking about um, you know, mid-density, you know, whether we're talking about stack towns or mid-density apartments or the ability to see, you know, ancillary suites uh, more as of right across the, the region as well. It's that type of more, you know, innovative thinking, especially around, you know, transit areas. We're seeing a lot of development of, of transit infrastructure. Well, let's take advantage of that. Um, and, and, and let's make sure that when we're planning housing, you know, with say within a kilometer or two of a station area that we have that gradient of home types so that people can live close to transit, but they can also stay where they choose to live and sort of move up in the market or move down in the market as the case may be to sort of meet their housing needs over time. That's how you sort of sustain a marketplace is not only by bringing on more supply, which allows market conditions to be a little bit more balanced, but you also got to bring in a diversity of supply that allows people to, you know, sort of grow through the housing market, but remain in, in their area of choice. And so that'll be the important thing to watch, you know, longer term uh, for the greater Toronto area is, 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 is are we successful in bringing on, you know, more inventory? Right. Um, do you have, in, in lieu of these quickly growing prices, first-time home buyers having to deal with the challenges they have to with affordability, getting an accepted offer, what have you. Um, does Trev monitor, can you shed any light on alternative financing? Like, have you heard of a rise in rent-to-own, for instance? Is there an increase in VT, vendor take-backs on the residential side? Uh, can you comment on this at all? We we don't uh, track that input. So, for example, if a deal gets reported through Treb's MLS system by by one of your members, for example, um, it, there, there's no real way of sort of tra saying, well, um, you know, these people finance their home in this way. Um, I mean, we could ask the question. I'm not sure that a lot of people would be sort of comfortable answering it. Uh, and we certainly don't require that type of information mm -hmm. to be input into the system. We simply, you know, don't collect that. Um, and so. Uh, you know, I, I can't answer your question directly. I think, you know, the alternative sort of modes of financing probably present themselves more in a higher interest rate environment. I mean, right now you're right. talking about taking on, you know, a five-year fixed rate mortgage at below 2%. Um, yeah. You know, my sense is that's probably where a lot of people are leaning. I mean, you know, one topic of discussion maybe we haven't hit on is is, is the notion of mortgage deferrals because, I mean, that was a, a big topic of discussion back in the early spring because um, mm -hmm. we did see, you know, thousands of households taking advantage of, of, of mortgage deferrals and there was a real concern that we were going to hit that cliff, the deferral cliff, um, as we, it was termed in the media a lot, that, you know, once those deferrals dried up, you were going to, and that's the thing. I mean, most of these, most of the deferrals, and, and whether you look at our own polling through Ipsos or you talk to, um, you know, mortgage professionals of Canada, um, you know, what they found is that once the, the, the term of the mortgage deferrals came to an end, people just started paying their mortgage again. Mm -hmm. So it was more, it was more taking it on as an insurance policy, you know, giving yourself a little bit of flexibility in uncertain times versus actually you know, necessarily needing to take it on because your income stream had been had been interrupted, and so it was more prudence um, than than a requirement that the most households took these on. So there hasn't been a meaningful uptick then in 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 you know the default rate. And so I think generally speaking, if you think about the average borrower in Canada, they're still 
you know, pretty firmly rooted in that sort of traditional lending environment where you're, you know, negotiating, say, a, you know, a fixed rate mortgage. And, and certainly right now you're negotiating that at below 2% in all likelihood if you got good credit and what have you. So, um, you, you know, I, I think that traditional market is still going to be the, the sort of bellwether for most, uh, for most buyers over the next year. Right on. Um, Jason, I, I've appreciated your time immensely today. Is there any questions that you don't think I've asked or is there anything that we've omitted that you feel it, uh, would be valuable for people who are listening to hear? Is there anything we haven't covered? I, I think the only thing I'd say as, as we leave things off is, 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 is it's important to remember the, the overall importance of our industry, the housing industry, um, to, to the overall economy um, in Canada. And that's whether I'm talking about resale housing or the new home market, which a, a lot of our members are, are involved in um, as well, helping their clients. Um, I mean, you know, just taking MLS transactions, right? On average, it's been estimated that each one of those transactions reported through Trub's MLS system results in another $70,000 almost in, in, in spin-offs to the local economy, yeah. right? And obviously those spin-off expenditures, whether we're talking about, um, you know, people buying furniture, undertaking renovations, paying, paying professional fees, paying taxes, um, you know, that, that also results in jobs, right? It results in government revenues to provide services. And so, you know, I, I, I always point out, um, you know, when I'm having these chats or, or delivering a presentation on the market is that when we think about, you know, policymakers looking at the housing market and potentially changing, you know, whether we're talking about mortgage rules, whether we're talking about, you know, restrictions on what, what or where or, or what have you, um, you know, that impacts not just the housing market, it impacts growth in the overall economy. And, that, and that's important to remember. It's important to remember that the work we're doing day in and day out, the realtors are doing day in and day out, uh, is a major driver of overall economic growth in the GTA. Yeah, so true. Uh, so true. Um, look, Jason, again, I appreciate your time immensely. Um, you know, I think we're going to be wrapping it up right now. And this officially concludes Breb's first Breb Talk uh, podcast. So thank you for being our first guest. It means a lot to us. We appreciate Treb's support, your support, uh, and your time. And um, I look forward to doing it again sometime, maybe 2022. Yeah, well, thank you very much. I appreciate being the, the, the first on, and uh, I hope to speak with you again. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Jason. You have your good day. Stay safe. Take care. You too. Goodbye. Take care, Jason.